practical. It was such a practical um, walking out, carrying um, or laying aside your burdens that Jen led us through in that lesson last week. So just encourage you to click on that link that Susan sends in the emails. Yeah, and just great sharing. I think it was, I forget her first name, Miss Suttles just sat right here and just shared about kind of what the Lord did for her in that short five minutes. And as Jen said, it kind of changed, Joanna, it kind of changed. I mean, it just it was profound just to hear how the Lord kind of took something off of her and gave her kind of the right way to carry raising her kids. So just neat how he does that. Um, she barely got to uh, casting crowns. And again, a new idea for me before Freedom Prayer, before this book, uh, but one that I really uh, tried to incorporate in my prayer life. And just to kind of rehash, you can go back and look at the chapter if you want to. Um, but the idea of casting crowns, kind of taken from Revelation, where the elders are kind of giving these crowns back to Jesus, Jesus, just every crown, just throwing back to him. And not from a place of, I don't want this, you know, this is, this is not a good thing, but from a place of, I can't carry this rightly. And it's helped me think about, you know, different roles that I'm in, uh, even just teacher, my job, even just husband, father, like giving those crowns to Jesus, just, just from a place of, I can't carry this rightly. Like if I hold on to this, if I hold on to titles or, or awards or, or prestige, I'll, I'll carry it wrongly. Um, I'll pause this for a second. We had a prayer time. This one, Casting Crowns, um, is up there. I, I just didn't know anything about it. I just thought it was the name of a band. Um, <laughs> and and I've, I just loved reading this chapter, and um, it just makes sense. You know, there are two kinds of crowns that she mentioned in this chapter. Worldly crowns, but then there's also righteous, holy crowns. Either way, we need to throw them back at his feet. Um, there's danger in spending too much time admiring the crowns instead of the giver of them. So I just love that line in that chapter. Yeah. Any, any thoughts there? I know Jen kind of hit that briefly, and we're kind of just overviewing it right now. It is a great chapter. I'd encourage you to read. But any other thoughts in that realm? just kind of want to give you time to talk. It makes me... Um think of humility. Yes. We talked about humility. I mean, I don't remember if it was this class or the time, the class before, but um, I I think I always viewed humility or being meek, you know, or as, as being like less than. And that's not really what it is. And so this really gave me a good visual of, I can really be proud of the things that, that I have accomplished but that doesn't mean I have to hold them or, or, and it can give me self-esteem and it can help have a healthy ego, you know, so you can have confidence and things, but that doesn't necessarily mean I have to um, inflate myself mm -hmm. because of them, because mm -hmm. they're God-given. And if I see them as God-given, then that's a great, that helped me view humility in such a, I think a more healthy way mm -hmm. instead of a, um, let me humble myself and, and, and make myself smaller so that someone else can be lifted up. And that's not really what humility yeah. necessarily yeah. is. So, yeah. again, with her practical visuals, that really mm -hmm. was just really helpful for me. That's good. That's really good. Thank yeah. you. And it goes so well into this next chapter, it really too. Does. Yeah. It's a great, to say great that. segue yeah. to this next. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're, the two chapters for this week are Holding Holy Authority, and then have, we'll have time for uh, Embracing Suffering, was the next one. And I just want to start off and just say, like, I've, I felt pretty uh, good about teaching all the chapters that we've, we've had split up, you know, being in freedom prayer for five years, six years, like, I just feel, I feel more comfortable with these kind of concepts and excited to share them with you. 
I did not feel this way this week. <laughs> Both of these things, holding holy authority, again, kind of brand new for me, and then embracing suffering, I just don't feel like I've really walked through much suffering at this point in my life. And I know there's people in here that have have had to walk that at a much deeper level than I have. So I was really just kind of nervous and anxious about even teaching. It's really the verse that keeps coming to mind is like, not many of you should presume to be teachers. <laughs> like, I don't know if God's telling me like, hey, don't even do this, frankly. Like, I, I just... We want it to be really discussion-based today and really get kind of y'all's thoughts and feedback and much less kind of us teaching anything. Um, that said, <laughs> Holding Holy Authority was the chapter uh, for this week. And the idea of holy authority is just kind of what Susan was saying, the idea that, that holy authority, <coughs> unlike worldly authority, holy authority is dependent on the timing and the power of God for an anointed purpose and position. just kind of His authority that He bestows on us. I wanted to read on page 186 in the book, uh, it's the second paragraph in the second section, where it kind of talks about holy authority. And Jen says, Holy authority is the opposite of the world's authority, which demands position and power. It does what no one sees coming, holy authority does. When the world expects posturing, holy authority steps back, waits, and goes low. Worldly authority bulldozes for the purpose of self-promotion and self-preservation, while holy authority preserves others, sometimes even requiring great personal sacrifice and risk. Um, and just that, that neat concept of, of kind of what, you know, contrasting those two. You know, you can think of worldly examples of, of authority. Maybe it's been lorded over you versus holy authority. Uh, and just kind of neat to think about the way the Lord gives authority. And Reed's going to talk about the example in the book, uh, from Esther that Jen gives us. Yeah, so this is a great example that's in the book. Um, again, I highly recommend that you read it. Um, but the main takeaway from Esther's story and her being called to holy authority is um, she was fashioned long before she stepped foot in the king's court. Her heart had been earlier positioned and prepared for that appointed time. Um and there are five precursors that are listed in this chapter that helped her heart be ready for this moment. The first one um, is a submissive spirit. And in our society, we often disregard wise words that don't immediately make sense or seem to fit our plan. And submission has been so badly twisted by the world and sometimes the church that it looks nothing like it should. But in this story, in Esther's story, um, submission to Mordecai was not demeaning, and Mordecai was not domineering. It was about trust, safety, timeliness, and protection. Her heart had been cultivated in this nature before the big event um, of going to the king and everything that happened in her story. So the first one was a submissive spirit. The second one was patience. And um, the beautification process to be presented to the king took a year, which is so hard for me to comprehend, <laughs> being that I am a PE teacher, and sometimes I sleep in my professional attire and wake up and just go to work. <laughs> um, <laughs> So it's hard for me to think about how she had to go through this process for an entire year before she could meet the king. And 
And that patience, what if that waiting and preparing, even if we think we are ready, is worth the position it places our hearts in? So that's the, the lesson there in that patience. The third one is receiving counsel. Um, she had a heart positioned for holy authority. She could have asked for anything, but she asked for wisdom. The fourth one was developing a strategy. And it is as simple as what happens throughout the Bible, fasting and prayer. Just being obedient to that. And that's what she did. And the fifth one is using discernment. Um, there is a question at the end of the chapter, which one do you need more of? And I, I always want more discernment. Um, and a question you would ask would be, Lord, is this my battle to fight? Um, she was the queen, yet she did not flippantly use her position. The king offered her half of the kingdom, but she waited and planned a banquet with the king and Haman and showed discernment about how to save her people. Because of her discernment, Haman's plot was foiled. Yeah, so I just think that's neat to think about Esther's example of how God bestows authority, the way he prepares us to have authority. And as Ray was sharing those things from Esther, I thought about in my life, there's been times where I think striving was how I thought you obtained authority, like even at work, like wanting to have a different position, wanting to move up, you know, having to say the right thing, make the right contact, do the right thing, um, you know, accomplish something was how it happened. And, and even though the past few years just kind of just relaxing and resting, like, God, it's your timing. Like, I, I can't make it happen. I don't need to strive to make it happen. He, he bestows it when it's time was something that struck me. Um, examples in the book, there's a little chart in the question part that talks about uh, worldly authority versus holy authority. It talks about worldly authority is large and domineering. Holy authority is like a lamb. Um, worldly authority is self-serving, whereas holy authority is selfless. And so to open it up to you all, um, can you think of a time when you were adversely affected by unholy authority? Maybe it was in a job or a relationship, uh, a time where you, you, you remember you know, this kind of way somebody carried position, way they carried power, and maybe how that affected you, you know, what, what that kind of did in you. Does anybody have an example that comes to mind when you think of that? We, got, um, sorry. No, go ahead. No. Okay. Um, we have three kids who are adopted, and um, when they very first came to live with us, we were just helping their family for a little while. Um, this was years and years ago now. Um, but we went to seek counsel um, with um, a pastoral counselor, and um, the person said, "You know, this is you can't do this to your other kids." Um, this is, and we like so many other indicators like. Or just that this is where we needed to be and it was like you know just fire shot off in my head like this is not hmm. this is a th somebody in authority that is speaking out of concern and it was out of love and yeah. concern and um like care for our family mm -hmm. and some of what they said has come to be true like it has been really hard for the kids that were already living in our home and um anyway but mm -hmm. just that that feeling of like okay this is not this is somebody in a position um, mm -hmm. with some authority over us because we've given them to that by asking them mm -hmm. for a yeah. wise counsel. Um, but that is, this is not... Yeah. Yeah. Not Thank correct. you for yeah. sharing that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
In my first job, um, I worked in a nursing home, and due to many circumstances, I got a, a lot of authority at a very young age. Mm -hmm. And then they brought in a boss who was the epitome of a male chauvinist, and he had never really been around a, I, I guess I'll call myself a strong woman. <laughs> and I had had all this authority. <laughs> and um, so the very first day I did like exercise class and Bible study and I was doing all that and he kept calling over the intercom and telling me, asking me to come to his office and I kept peeping my head out and saying to the receptionist, tell him I'll be there after I'm done. Anyway, when I'm finished, I go down to his office. This is his very first day of work. <laughs> And he grabs my arm. Uh. <laughs> y'all are so young, y'all can't imagine this happening. He grabs my arm and he said, don't ever not answer me when I call Oh, my me. goodness. And that night, I shot him. <laughs> Confession. <laughs> Treatment. Oh. You know, just him. He just had never. He just. It was very difficult for him to be around a woman. That's just kind of the way he'd been brought up and the way he'd been taught. And he. And it worked for him to that point. Yeah. I mean, that's the that yeah. was his behavioral pattern was yeah. managed by intimidation. Yeah. Yeah. What it, yeah, it's kind of obvious, but what kind of feeling, what did that produce in you? In me? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you shared that. Very. No, it didn't. I could have been permitted to say Yeah, I had to calm him down. Well, yeah. Like, I, I have to work for this But even in you, like, as, a, as his employee, like, do you remember, like, what it produced in you, just feelings-wise, or? It was just, there was just always this tension with us, because he eventually ended up, I got my nursing home administrator's license under him, and so he was my authority figure for years and there was just always this tension but um because I did have to be you know submissive to him a lot because that was his his MO but you know we just we kind of came to a kind of a mutual understanding of working together. Yeah. Well wow. it was it was very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. And also, if y'all don't know Allison and Ricky Lewis, they have an amazing story. Mm -hmm. Allison grew up in this church, Allison Bradfield Lewis, and um, we need to get her to share her story. <laughs> we should do that. So, we could do that yeah. in this class. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah we, I mean, we uh, examples immediately came to mind for us, too. Of, yeah. uh, my first year at in teaching in Metro Schools, just had a principal who gave me five different preps my first year which in teaching like you know one or two preps is kind of normal but five new preps you're, you're doing a new class every every period so it's a ton of work she was just belittling even in the interview she was belittling to me I was I think I made some smart remark back to her in the interview like I'm not working there and then she offered me the job I was like okay I'll work there <laughs> I mean, and so the whole year was like that I was only there one year but just constantly like every evaluation everything was just belittling and just I mean it produced anger in me it made me resentful it made me want to I mean just want to undermine her almost um just this authority that she carried it was so worldly so not like what Jesus looked like and you had one too didn't you I mean being in metro for yeah. 19 years yes I've had eight different schools and I think 10 or 11 different principals but you can just see when someone acknowledges that they have been given this position and they are giving it back to the Lord. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and that they're giving um, 
they're, they're sitting back, they're listening. And you can just see uh, a difference. But yes, I've had, I've had a principal who didn't want me, that as being part-time, um, I kind of go where the wind blows, and they just place me to different schools. That's why I've been in so many. And um, she didn't really want me, but they just placed me there. She didn't acknowledge my presence until October of that school year. <laughs> um, so we've seen a lot in Metro. <laughs> yeah, and so to contrast that, you know, you can think of people who, who held this authority well, who held the position well. And I immediately thought as we were taking notes last night on this, I thought of one was, was Jen Barnett. The, she's wrote this book, and she's the director of Freedom Prayer. So she runs the organization and, and trains teams around the country. But she is one of the best I've ever been around, like <coughs> – the way she holds her authority and the way she calls things up out of people around her. Like she sees something in people around her and can call that up. No threat to herself. You know, she's totally comfortable where she is in her position, but but brings that up out of people around her. I think that's a quality of someone that you're not threatened by those around you. You're able to lift them up, and I admire that about her. I thought of my dad, who was a women's college basketball coach for 35 years, and uh, just kind of even-tempered, calm. People at church, though, I heard this over and over growing up, like, I can't believe how your dad is on the basketball court. I saw him get a technical last night or whatever. Like, he could be fiery in a good way, but he could do that because he was so loving, so kind, so Jesus-centered. And his players, if he was yelling at them, he could, they could take that because they knew that he loved them. They knew that he had their best interest in mind. Um, anyone else? Just an example from your life that comes up. Yeah. He, he still sends an email every day to most of his players yeah. with a verse. Yeah. Even though he's retired and he hadn't interacted with them in years, uh, I don't know how many he sends to, but uh, he, he still is carrying that influence. Yeah, yeah, thank you for pointing that out. That's right. A little Devo he sends every morning. Anybody else an example of good authority that you can think of in your life? I'm sure you've got plenty in your mind. But I have a, I have a mentor. Like I've had my, the first half of my life was sort of characterized by social hierarchies, and I was always at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so that's like a big theme for me. But I currently have like a mentor in my life who she will call me and say, hey, I need you. My husband lost his job. You know, and, and like she allows me, like treats me like I am, I have something to offer back to her. Mm -hmm. And that makes me feel like I am not at the bottom of a hierarchy, mm, you know, yeah. and like, and then I can, it's like I'm able to receive love from her in a way that I wouldn't be able to if we had this, I'm up here, you're down mm, here, yeah. this kind of relationship where she leans on me and and it makes me feel freer to, to rely on her. Mm, yeah. It's a great example, yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. At the same time this was going on in Barry's career, I was working for an uh, international aluminum company and I had the most interest, from a business person's point of view, it was the most interesting job you could ever have. I mean, I traveled to Australia, I traveled to Chile, I traveled to the western coast of Africa, and then our kids were born, and I kept doing that. And I was gone one time for over three weeks, and I got home, and Meredith wouldn't, she was about two. It took her a week and a half to even acknowledge that I existed. And so I went into this guy's very devout believer, and. Um, just a superman, and I went in and told him what was going on, and uh, I'll tear up talking about um, I said, Ron, I can't keep doing this. I said, this is really costly. And he goes, you know what? We're going to find something else for you in the company, but in the meantime, I'll take half your travel. 
That's and amazing. This is the CFO in the whole U.S. I mean, big, big company, and so we, you know, That's we still stay in touch. He's 85 yeah. years old, but retired. And what yeah. was the storm recently? Fort Myers. Fort Myers. Yeah. So we still. Wow, that's such a your dad. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I keep thinking of the opportunity we have in parenting mm. to appreciate pulling the board. Mm. And the, like when you're talking about bosses, and I've had plenty of all the experiences, and a lot of them also, but I think about, I keep thinking about watching my husband, who must still be jumping a car. And, Someone the church. Oh, no. <laughs> but, um, and the, my children respond so well to him. Largely, I think, because you want, we want our kids to know, like, we love you. And the, the way we're trying to orchestrate this is because God's given us this awesome, overwhelming, cool opportunity to parent you and to grow you up in Christ. Um, and I feel like watching him, and I know a lot of y'all do this, respect his children and listen. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are plenty of times that we miss the mark. But I feel like when your kids feel like you respect them and they have something to offer you, it's just a neat, I'm just trying to think, how how can I, how can this uh, change me from a parenting perspective? Yeah, so, that's awesome. Because what a full gift for you. Yeah. yeah. I've got to share, since this is what came to mind when you talk about Matt as a father. When we were training at Freedom Prayer, this is kind of off off story, but when we were training, towards the end of the training, we did this exercise where we sat in a circle and we had one person volunteer to sit in the middle and just, we kind of like closed our eyes and then opened them and looked at the person and just asked the Holy Spirit, what do you want to tell that person? And it was kind of an exercise to show like, like you hear from the Holy Spirit, like you, Holy Spirit, you know, is working through you. So we opened our eyes, Matt was in the middle, we opened our eyes and looked at him and what I thought immediately was, was good father. And you know, and, and I, so I shared, then you share with them what, what came to mind. I just said, hey, I just, as we did that, I just thought, good father. And somebody else across the circle said, yeah, that's what, I, that's what I got too, like, good father. And a few more shared, and then Matt said, you know, if they want to, the person in the middle can say, if anything landed with them, something from around the circle landed with them. And he was like, when you all said good father, he said, I love that song. When I hear that, I put my heart, my hand on my heart, and I just I think about God is a good father, but using me as a good father, and that just has stuck with me. And Matt is an amazing father, <laughs> and I just love I love hearing how he parents. Yeah, you know. I'm gonna take a hard right turn now. <laughs> I realize that <laughs> we're doing two chapters, and this is, we're, we're switching to the next one now. And I'm, I look at the notes, I'm like, this is a this is a hard shift here. But um, the next chapter, thank you all for sharing your examples. That's so amazing. Um, the next chapter is embracing suffering. And again, this is one where I just felt like I don't have, I just don't have the experience to share here, and I know so many do. Uh, you know, Josh t- just did this whole series on suffering, which I thought was so good, um, and maybe reminded you of a time in your life where you have suffered, where, where things, you have gone, walked through something hard. Um, and one, one thing we'll get to later in this, in this chapter is that the enemy wants us to believe in the midst of suffering that, that God is not near and that God is not good. Like this thing is happening and God's ignored it. God's ignoring me. How can he let me walk through this? How can, he, he can't be good if this has been allowed to happen to me. We see this in prayer times where people who come up with heavy trauma and that's the thing on their heart is, where was he? He, he, he could not have, have been there and let me go through this. So again, I, 
I don't feel like I have a lot to share. I'll speak for myself in this um, realm. But I, I did want to walk us through, like Jen did, a, a, a short kind of prayer exercise kind of around this. So I'm going to kind of put some music on again to kind of just kill the, the background noise and just kind of walk us through a prayer. Again, this is just between you and the Lord. No one has to share afterwards. If you want to, that that's great. But um, if you'll just go ahead and close your eyes and I'll put this music on. It's not fair for you to keep doing that and then not provide boxes of tissues. <laughs> you're right, you're right. <laughs> yeah, I know we should have that. <laughs> okay. So again, we're just going to start off and just kind of drawing near to the Lord. You know, whatever that looks like for you. Just kind of relying on those scriptures that He gives us that when we draw near to Him, He draws near to us. Like that's His promise. I don't have to make it happen. I don't have to pretend it happens. That's a good father's, the best father's response to us. Just draw near to God. Just ask him, God, what does it look like to draw near to you? Would you show me, would you tell me right now, Father, what it looks like to draw near to you as my good father? claim that promise that because of Jesus we can come boldly into His presence not not hanging back, not wondering how He's going to respond but boldly right up to Him so we just draw near to our good Father right now who makes us lie down in green pastures leads us beside still waters. Just ask, would you hold us right now, Father? And God, in this place, will you tell us we can go when we're near to you? you bring to mind a time when we have suffered? Would you bring to mind suffering that's been in our story, God? Maybe that's, maybe that's far in the past, or maybe it's right now. Maybe it's suffering we're currently walking through. Whatever it is, would you just show us, remind us of a time when suffering has been part of our life? As you bring that to mind, a time when we've felt suffering, when we've known suffering, when we currently know suffering, God. God, would you tell us, how did we feel about you in that season? 
curious about you and where you were during that suffering, Father. Like you know every hair on our head, you know every thought that goes through our mind, you know what we felt about you. Maybe it's that you were distant. You you were uninterested. Uncaring. Maybe it's that you neglected us, Father. That we felt abandoned by you, maybe. God, whatever we felt, we want restored relationship with you. We just tell you that's our heart's cry. And so remembering how we felt toward you, God, we just say we're sorry. We're sorry that we we required you to respond a certain way in that time. sorry that we put our expectations on you and demand that you respond in a certain way. We release you from that, God, having to, having to respond the way we think is best in our, in our small understanding. We just ask your forgiveness there, Father. God, as we thought maybe incorrectly about how you felt about us during that time, about what you were doing that t- during that time. God, would you, would you tell us now what was your heart for us during that season? What did you feel towards us in our suffering, Father? What was your heart towards us in the midst of our suffering? receive that from you. We receive the truth about you during that time. Father, maybe because of that suffering, I felt like I lost something in that season. Would you name for me, Father, what did I feel like I lost during that suffering?
Maybe it was, it was peace or just hope. Maybe it was my, it was my dignity, Father. Maybe my suffering, maybe my loss is, is a person that I lost, Father, that left a hole. dream that I felt was destroyed or or crushed. And you know that sense of loss that we feel. Father, in that place, in that place of loss, would, would you tell us or show us what's your truth place. God, it's your will to rebuild and restore. What are you restoring in that place where we felt lost? Placing in me, Father, in that place where I felt lost? What are you giving me abundance in? And we receive that from you. you name for us, God, the the need that we still feel from that season. And as you name that need, Father, would you show us or tell us, what does it look like for you to be the one to fill that need going forward? help us, God, to receive from you everything that you want to give us as you restore that place of loss, as you fill that need. Help us to receive that from you. As you think about a time of suffering in your life and, and maybe what you needed there, I think, again, I think it's, it's powerful, no, no requirement, but would anyone be willing to share something that maybe the Lord showed you during that, during that prayer or something you feel like He spoke, he spoke to you in that? Or even just a time, a time of suffering that you experienced that you wouldn't mind sharing?
again, no, no pressure. It's kind of a personal question, and that, again, it's kind of just between you and the Lord. But um. Um, you know, we all suffer in different ways in different situations, and um, for the past twenty-something um, years, I've struggled with restless legs, and. Uh, there was a period about four years ago where I was only getting about three hours of sleep a night. Uh, and I was up, I couldn't lay down. All I could do was walk. Uh, I would bump into the refrigerator, I would bump into the cabinets, I'd bump into the couch because I'd just fall asleep while I was walking. But uh, during that period, I got very angry with God uh, because it. All I had, all my motivation, all my desires, everything was gone because mm-hmm. uh, I had no energy. And um, but during that time, and I still have it. Uh, I'm just not up every night. Um, but what God's taught me is that whatever situation I'm in. God never promised that He would take it away. Mm-hmm. And it makes me realize that this world is not where I want to live. Mm-hmm. It's not where I'm going to be forever. And that whatever my situation is, that, uh, that I'm enough mm-hmm. and He's enough. Mm-hmm. And, and so when I'm up all night now, uh, there's no anger uh, there's no bitterness. Uh, I'd love to go to sleep, but I can. Uh, and and then and I just have to depend on him the next day. And this is when I was still working, so it's not. I'm retired now, so if I'm up all night, no big deal. But I still can't lay down the next day because if I do, my restless legs will bother me. So it's a. Uh, it's like being in somewhat of a prison sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, that you have no control over. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. Anyway. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. It's powerful. I'm just going to give a couple of names and not say the situation. You <coughs> asked to to think of what what losses. What did what did I what was lost. Mm-hmm. Um, joy, innocence, safety, peace, a whole family, a good name. Mm-hmm. And then there were these holes that you mentioned. And where I've been able to see filling over decades now is in uh, compassion, things I have now mm-hmm. that maybe wouldn't have otherwise, um, patience, and appreciation for extended family at church um, to fill in the holes more completely because they're all based in common lifting up to Jesus. Mm, that's really good. Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah, we're running out of time, but that kind of goes along with the chapter two, Catherine, just how the Lord's example of walking with us through suffering. That Satan wants us to believe He's not near, He's not good, but He is near, He is good, and He restores fully what was taken away, what was lost. He wants to give back more. And just Catherine mentioning, you know, what you've got because of walking through suffering. Um, again, I don't feel equipped to talk about this. There's people 
who walk through hard things that say, I, I wouldn't change it though. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back because of what I learned, <coughs> what I got back from that time. Uh, and I'm sorry if we're having to cut it kind of short. We also can learn from other people, something mm -hmm. like Catherine mm -hmm. Broadway. Yes, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, our uh, Joy Emerson's husband's name was Daryl. Uh, we we can learn so yes. much yeah. uh, from them. And that's a great point too. And there's a paragraph in the book that says that just other people suffering. I wrote beside it the Broadways. Just even. Scott was here last week, and just the way he's walked through this amazingly difficult time just fills me up to see him, just the way he's done this. I mean, it's not been easy, but it's amazing, yeah. And just the chapter talks about the story of Mephibosheth and the amazing picture of God's heart to restore us after suffering. We may walk with reminders and loss, but his response to our suffering is to invite us to his table and restore us. Thank you all for sharing and for being here. We appreciate it. Y'all have a great week, and we'll have one more class next week. Thank you for speaking. Good job.